Hey, what's up, y'all? Uh, welcome back to another edition of the Hold That Podcast podcast. Uh, sorry, we are a day late. The offseason schedule's been a little crazy. We're a little all over the place. Uh, it's a it's a good crazy, though. Offseason comes with, you think you'll have free time, but it actually the free time means you try to do more and actually do nothing. Yeah, like I was just saying, like yesterday I had a crazy day, but it was really just all of my own making. Like I didn't actually get paid for anything I did, like, on top of my show, I agreed to speak to, like, a college class for an hour and a half. Then I had locked myself into two hours of Star Wars talk on different podcasts, which uh, I loved. And then, like, I had a couple other hits I had to do. So it's it's it's, it's a bit odd right now, but it's, um, we're still kind of in it a little bit. Like, yeah. post-signing day. Oh, like, yeah. there there will be some more Tons of coaching news coming up. Yeah, a lot of coaching moves, which we're going to touch on today, but... Uh, welcome in to the Hold That Podcast podcast. I am your host, T-Bob Hebert. Uh, I should say co-host. And I am joined Thanks, by buddy. my co-host, Brody Miller of The Athletic. And we want you to buy your specialty meats at Bear Specialty Meats, specifically the Bocage location, you bastards. Go get a pepper jack uh, egg roll, pepper jack boudin egg roll, and dip it in the sweet and sour. And you can thank me later. And then obviously subscribe to The Athletic, who uh, now Matthew McConaughey is on board. My boss. He is Brody's boss. And The Athletic just got a $500 million valuation uh, because it's awesome. And you should definitely think about joining if you want just top-notch sports coverage. Even Brody's writing is pretty good. It is pretty good there. Um, Brody, I think I want to open the show as we always should by reminding everyone out there that the Last Jedi is oh, a cinematic masterpiece. As we should. And that Ryan Johnson is most likely the best director to ever work on a Star Wars. And that the lost potential of The Last Jedi is one of the biggest crimes in all of Star Wars history. And that, quite frankly, the reaction to Last Jedi, um, more than anything I've ever read, and I tweeted this, but I believe it in my core, more than anything I've ever read or seen online, uh, and that's a lot. It is the reaction to Last Jedi that more than anything makes me question whether or not democracy is is a a, a logical form of government. Yeah, it's really it's how I weed people out of my life. You know? Yes, it's that and people who are like, by the way, I like our strategy here, like that uh, pedophiles, um, yeah, murderers, which is a real theme on this show. Yeah, yep. cannibals. Well, it's that and people who are like, it's usually the same people to be clear, but people who hate Last Jedi and love Rise of Skywalker. I'm not gonna get mad at them anymore. You're still in the anger phase. I'm not. I'm in the like, you know what? I'm just gonna weed you out of my life. I know, <laughs> and, I know how you view most things now. And 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 I'm a huge, I I I'm a huge Star Wars. Like I am a definition of a fan boy. All caps. Yeah. I love it all. I just like them to like. I like them in varying degrees, right? I even like Attack of the I? Clones. Like I've watched teenager. Attack of the Clones probably like ten times in my life. Like there's no reason for that unless <laughs> you like it. So I enjoy these movies, but I I like. Some less than others, and yeah, Rise of Skywalker is in my bottom three, probably. It just keeps, yeah, it's it actually Ooh, for it's that for, or Clone Wars for me. For I mean, as much Clone fun Wars, as I had live in theater, it's kind of just continued to tumble the more I've ruminated on it. Now I need to see it again. To be fair, I've only seen me it too. once. But but I but I just confident. yeah. But but the opposites with Last Jedi. Just people will like bring up plot points to me just in conversation, and I'll be like, oh yeah, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, when, well, when you try to fit an hour and like when you try to fit your your middle movie and your final movie into the final movie, it was too much of a breakneck pace. Like one of the great parts about Force Awakens was the fun pacing of it. I think Rise of Skywalker just went like too far in that direction. It was like it really felt like a really long theme park ride. Which was fun that's, at the that's time. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Which was fun at the time. It's just utter nonsense. Not a lot of depth there always. Um, I so, like our strategy here of, hey, we're trying to build a new podcast. Yep. You know what we should do? Just insult, like, two-fifths of our fan base. <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> let's make sure they stop listening at the three-minute mark instead of, like, letting it, you know, letting them make their own decision. I think that's a good move. Yeah. Because uh, we want to be the elitist podcast. we got to weed out the idiots. <laughs> we, want, we want us to be, like, the podcast where it's like... You know, like that people actually like it's like exclusive. It's cool. Like, ah, you're not. Yeah. Hold that podcast guy. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, if you don't like Last Jedi, fuck you. We're like, we're the velvet underground of podcasts. I'm just kidding. Everybody, kind of everybody enjoy yourself. Enjoy what you like. Um, That said, I have realized that amongst Star Wars fans, 
there is not a more aggressive move than opening talking about Last Jedi. Like, I went on this yeah. random Star Wars podcast yesterday, not the one with Molnar, another one. Buddy. And and these guys are just Budgie, like... Time better. I know, and these guys are just, like, starting out and everything. And immediately we start, start, start talking on Discord. I'm like, I love Last Jedi. And I just threw it out there. And it reminds me of, like... Sitting down to the Thanksgiving table and being like, "Man, Trump. Donald Trump, he's awesome, right?" Like it's like it's like it's the it's the one subject. If you're talking to me about Star Wars and you're just trying to get to know each other, oh, yeah. you should not jump there immediately. But my brain is so broken that I'm just like, "Hey, what of it? Fuck you! I love Last Jedi. You want to talk about it? Good." It's like the what? What is the LSU equivalent? Because the only thing that came to my mind right now was like being like. Man, I think Canada deserved another year. I mean, that's I think that might be good. the only one. I think um, if you were to be like, no, because I think everybody would like Nick Saban. I think Les Miles is probably the last Jedi lightning rod yeah. because Les <laughs> Miles even one. Les Miles even won a Natty, and you weren't here for those years, but like uh, I know him, he though. won a Natty, and like yeah, and like still half the fan base hated him. Like, how does yeah. that happen? How do you win a national championship? And half the fan base still just doesn't like you at just all. Just be like, man, he needed two more classes. He <laughs> needed two more. Yes, exactly. He would have figured out the offense, okay? You just had to give him time. He's an offensive mastermind. He kind of was at Oklahoma State. Know, Maybe not a mastermind. No, but yeah, like, but he was yeah. an offensive guy. Yeah, yeah for sure. So um, Different time. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed this opening segment. Like I said. This is good shit. I would just say this, man. I would just say this. Oh, we're, we're almost out of the weeds. Just I know, I know. Just give it one more chance, Last yeah. Jedi. If you didn't like it. Rewatch it. See what the combination of time okay. and what you got in Rise of Skywalker is going to do for you. See, Bob, I think it's kind of like a Democrat Republican. <laughs> no, no, it hear is. me out. No, it Where is. it's like your brain chemistry is just different, and it's not like a right or wrong thing. It's just your values are different. You're right. And You're I right. always summarize it this way: movie people. You, I don't want to generalize, but I think movie people, movie nerds, film snobs, they liked Last Jedi yeah. better because it's a better movie than most Star Wars. Star Wars people who want their characters to be the way they want it and like have them be a certain way, they hate it. That's complete. And neither is inherently wrong. And that's, that's all I have to fair. say. Yeah. And as a fanboy, I get that perspective because, like I said, I sat there through Rise of Skywalker with a big dumb grin on my face. And I was like, whoa, look at that. That shit was awesome. Oh, they're flying yeah. through the desert. Oh, look at C3PO. Oh, wow, this is crazy. Oh, that guy's dead. No, he's not. Oh, his memory's wiped. No, he's not. Oh, he's dead. No, he's not. Oh, wow, yeah. 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 Nonsense. Yeah. God. All right. Uh, uh, all right. Football. Football talk. Thank you for these opening seven and a half minutes, y'all. If you are Speaking still of people coming back to life, if you are still, that was a uh, segue. You blew it. Okay. Um. Who? Um, Bo Pelini. Oh, damn it. God. Damn it. Oh, he's been went to radio school for. Bo Pelini this. was really the power behind Aranda the entire time. That's what people are saying. You think he was coaching Youngstown? Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. He was, he was typing in yes. every Tuesday and Thursday. It's going to come out that Dave Aranda was just a clone this entire time. And then he's like, there's like, in, in, in a lab in Youngstown, Ohio, there are like five Dave Aranda bodies at different forms of development. There's a fetus Aranda. Yeah. There's like a T, and they're all floating in water with tubes attached to them. The first interview with Polini is just going to be fascinating because he's going to accidentally slip some things. Just be like, <laughs> and then I got to start working on Baylor film. Shit. We we learned that Joe Burrow's last name is really Pelini. Whoa. He's been Pelini's son the entire time. He didn't offer him because he didn't want because he knew if we were both in the same place, the plot would be killed. Force users can have uh, prescience sometimes, and he knew that Burrow's path had to go through the adversity yeah. of. It's like Doctor Strange. Yes. Like if I tell you, yes, it, yes, it won't happen. Exactly. It has, it's only one way. Or like when Strange gives up the Infinity Stone, he's like, "Look, this is the one." Yeah. computation where this shit maybe works out for us. Yeah. So we got to do it. I've, I've circled back around. I think it's the best start to a podcast. I, I agree. I've come I've, back I, around. I, I think I I'm last Jedi-ing this podcast. <laughs> so if you're still around here, uh, <laughs> you're you, welcome. You know why, You because you're our people. Hold that podcast. Drinks podcast. on us. Uh, so we're going to discuss a few things today. We're going to discuss O's new deal. Uh, obviously the Bo Pelini like deal. A, like a uh, uh, what was wrong with the little George Munoz tease on off the bench? What a pa- what a move! Yeah, just kind of just kind of a... flopping it out there on the table. I was trying to, I didn't want to say those that, but yeah, yeah it's yeah. just like, hey, Dave, look at this. Oh, like Baylor's cute, but uh, I still am the coach of LSU. And then John Emery's eye surgery. Uh, we're gonna throw in here yeah. as as well. Lots to talk about. Brody wrote about it. Um, okay, so let's start. With Eddie O's new deal. Eddie, wow. Call him that next time. Uh, no, no chance. Yeah. Uh, although I would, in a non-professional setting, I would feel comfortable calling him Bebe, probably. Ooh, okay, good. Uh, yeah. yeah but like, what if move. I, just but like not even trying to play into it, 
just at a press conference, like, hey, Eddie, uh, you know, like, mm-hmm. act like I'm I'm not being weird. Yeah, no, no, no. You hey, might Eddie, get so... you, you might get that alpha death stare, that that alpha glare. Like, but I might like give what? it like it's gonna be a softball question, but lead with the Eddie. You know, mm, that's actually I would. Hey Eddie, I've heard you know you're a great recruiter. Tell me how you do. It. I mean, you know, how far like do you that. want to go down this road? Do they hold the podcast? Podcast listeners start pressing you to actually make this a reality and see how that. it plays. Yeah, I just want to be really okay, clear. Okay, okay. I just want. I just want to make sure. I want to make sure that's not I'm in the cards. That. Um, so Ed Ogeron gets a new contract. Uh, give me the details of the contract, Brody. Well, six years. Uh, right. Comes about to about forty-two million plus incentives. Which is it's always n- weird. Not seven million per year, though. Apparently, it's, it's like six million. It's like it's the whole thing where you get into base salary versus what you really make. Because like Ed Ogeron was making four million a year last year, but his base salary wasn't four million a year. You know what I mean? There's mm. all these extra things, but I think it's pretty much seven. That million. is all to say, who is still higher paid than Eddie? Well, it's a short list, and it's always tricky. I always want to clarify this because everyone goes by USA Today's list, and that's pretty accurate. Yeah. But the private coaches, actually, you don't know exactly what they make. Like, I've heard things about certain private coaches who actually make, like, way more than you think they make. So, mm. like, who's the coach at TCU? Gary, Gary Patterson. That's, Gary the, Patterson. That's, that's the one that comes to mind. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but anyway, so if we're going off. $15 million a year, I've heard. You actually heard that? No, 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 I'm sorry. Because no, no, I've sorry. never heard a number. Wow. The fact that you actually believe that, okay. I, TCU's I was, got money. I thought that was so absurd, but yeah, I guess they do, private school. So, um, anyway, okay. I've heard yes. he makes a lot. Continue. But yeah, no, so anyway, to go off what we know, we know Dabo Swinney makes more than him. We know Nick Saban makes more than him. Uh, we know Jimbo Fisher and Jim Harbaugh make more than him. That much is clear. The rest, I guess that is a little more ambiguous based on what's the actual salary and things like that, but he is clearly in the the top 10 coaches in college football right now in salary, which is – and, like, the key that you got to point out here, which you know, is that it's not just as simple as, oh, you know, this title-winning coach finally got put up there. It's the fact that he was so underpaid for so long. And I understand why. There yeah. A lot of good reasons for that. He was unproven, could have signed him for anything for free, as Joe Oliva said, and all that stuff. But, I mean, he was – he went from like the 37th to the 24th highest paid coach in college football for LSU. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So for him being up here, that's why it's so relevant. And and I think um, just when you talk about who is still higher paid, uh, you know, I I I, I get um, the the only people that got to be upset with that list. Are, I mean, it's Michigan, right? Like yeah. like 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 Jimbo has the title, and admittedly, Jimbo maybe hasn't gotten done as. Well, I think I think this yeah. last year for A and M was disappointing, given what he did in year number one. But then again, they had like the hardest schedule. And you got judged by the context of when he was given. Um, that yeah, and so and so we'll see. Like you know, I, we'll, I still think Jimbo's a really good coach. Yes, we'll see where he goes. But still, I feel like Texas A and M's got to feel better than Michigan. Jim Harbaugh cannot win a big game. He has not won anything of import. Like he hasn't even won like big rivalry games barely no. since he's been there. Nothing on the road ever. Yeah. Like never a top fifteen matchup on the road. And the fact that he's still up there, it's just like Michigan, they felt so hot for him that year after Brady Hoke. And I get it because Brady Hoke was such like yeah. a joke of and, a coach. No headset. And <laughs> Brady Rick, Hoke, no headset on the hot. That looks so stupid a few years later. And as much as I think Rich Rod actually was kind of like starting to get things, like Rich Rod obviously didn't work out. Oh, so. was Rich Rod after Hoke? Did I did I miss no, the no, no. Rich Rod? It was Rich Rod then Hoke. I'm okay, saying like okay, okay, so yes, we're like yes. my point is we're at a long run, but like leading up to Harbaugh, they were at a long run of like we need a savior. Yes. So and I, and Harbaugh felt like he kind of burst out oh the my gate. God. I thought he'd kick ass. And by the way, he did. Like you said, he burst out of the gate. Yeah. But then, but even in the bursting, they still never got like the big wins. You just assumed oh, that yeah. the big wins were coming, right? Because yeah. of whatever. And then you had the weird stuff like that. I mean, the Michigan fumbled punt to lose to Michigan State is still. One of the most all-time that was losses I've ever that. seen in my entire life. That's it is a bad one. It is a. It is in the sports blooper Hall of Fame. Like, like the math is so on your side. There, you found the one way to lose that game that you possibly could have. Uh, I do have something I want to get off my chest with co- coaching salaries. And yeah, yeah. And maybe this is a stupid take, but I think we all get caught up so much in the money. Like, ah, you're overpaying, or oh, you're you know, this guy. It's all made up. And by that I mean Explain yourself. Yeah. It's like these big programs, they have boosters who if they like a coach can pretty much meet any number you want. It's why the buyout thing's always funny, because you have some coaches who are like who's like, Yeah, we'll pay seven million to buy him out. We don't care. Yeah. So my point is like 
it's not like pro sports are not well even pro sports the coaches don't have a cap but i'm saying like, it's not like it's like there's a salary cap and you're like ah it's a waste of that money you know like oh i see where you're saying like, the, it's not like you're yeah. taking this from somewhere else necessarily it's not like there's people operate like there's a budget they live by and that's like where this money's coming from and they're taking out of this budget and you're pulling no the boosters and these people will just pull together what they need to to do what they got to do. That is true. Michigan, and Michigan has unlimited money for days. So, like, yeah, Jim Harbaugh, yeah, maybe he's worth $5.5 million. I don't know. Maybe that's a good place to put him at right now. But is that really making much of a difference? No, it's not. But but I think, though, so to I them. feel you because, like, you know, you see this a lot when people criticize Drew Brees, even though when you really look at the numbers, they're a bit off base here. They say, oh, well, well, Brady wanted to prioritize winning over money, and Breeze wanted money yeah. over winning. Now, that is a salary cap situation, so that you is. do have to be very cognizant of, if we pay this guy, we are costing resources in other departments. And that's not the case with coaching, but just human nature, you want to feel like you're getting your money's worth. Yeah. And so it's just always, you know, even though I feel I do not like, want to sound like I'm like, yeah, pay him $10 million a year. I'm yeah. not. It's just this thing I've been thinking for it's a while. No, it's interesting. Yeah. I've, ne- I've never considered that perspective. And you are right, like, always throw another couple million on top which okay so which maybe brings me to the next point which is uh you want to talk about the tom brady mentality the team guy mentality even though this is so so much money for O, per the market he actually is taking a bit of a discount here because like generally exactly what he should be because like generally when when you're talking about contract negotiations it's not who's best it's who's up, right? You belong to a tier system, and then when it's your turn, you get paid the most. Yeah. It's why you see all these quarterbacks get, you know, paid over quarterbacks that they're not better to, but they're in the same tier. So, O kind of, maybe not the Dabo Saban tier, even though he's definitely trending that direction. But he's in every every other tier if he's not there yet. He's in the Jimbo, Harbaugh, Kirby tier. Yes, and so technically he could have been petty and and fought to to be like one step ahead of these guys, right? Like Nick Saban back in the day, very famously, when they won the championship in 03, he got bumped up to $1 more than Bob Stoops was making (laughs) to become the highest paid coach in the country. And the fact that O didn't care about that is kind of indicative well, of where his head's been at the whole year. It's like, look, man. And there's no way you can pay him more than who we play. Right now. No, no, no. But I'm talking about even like fighting for like, well, he needs more than Jimbo. Okay, fair. Or he needs more than than Jim Harbaugh does. Because he does. But he doesn't care about that, right? He, Yeah, he's, he wants to be well compensated for what he's worth, and he is getting that. Uh, but at the same time, he doesn't care about being the one seed. He doesn't care about where they play, who they play, or at least, you know, not publicly. These are the Lies. messages that he's been slamming. And it's it's a message that has resonated with his team. And I'm sure in his personal life when he's talking amongst friends, yeah, he's probably like, fuck yeah, we should be the one seed. Or like, yeah, I don't want to go to Arizona. Of course and I want to I don't go play, play Clemson. <laughs> of course I want to play in Atlanta and play Oklahoma. Yeah. But publicly, and the message to the team was not that, and it's paid dividends. And and publicly, his message with LSU has been the same. He loves LSU. He loves Louisiana. He wants to be here. And so he's not going to get too petty or draw this thing out over a few extra dollars that, that his agent could have gotten him. You would think, maybe. I, I don't know. I'm not too privy to Bro, his that. agent could. If you if your agent can't get you paid more than Harbaugh and Jimbo after 15-0, and 0, your agent fucking sucks. I just think, I wonder how much factors in that, like, as much as we think Ed O'Shawn deserves, and much as I think he, you know, deserved every Coach of the Year award and all these things, there is still something to the idea of, you've been a successful coach now for really two years. Yeah. There really only is two years of success here. And despite what you want to say about Jimbo, and I mean, you like, we all, but at the time he was hired, he'd won a national title and been a successful head coach for about seven years. Or... Despite what he used to want to say about Jim Harbaugh, he took Stanford to the top of college football for years. He took an NF an NFC team to the Super Bowl. No doubt. No. Yeah. So I mean, like you know, there's you a little went to bit the of the NFC Championship three years in a row. Yeah, there's a little bit of like these other guys have a longer track record of success than him. So I under I think I think being number but, five but, is quite literally where he should be. I just don't not a dick at him. Oh well, I, I, I'm not saying it's not where he should be or whatnot, but I'm saying a, a an agent if his command to his agent was. I want to be paid more than these guys. He 100 probably could have pulled yeah. it off. There's no way that you're going to sit down. Yeah, and I'm not able, I, that I, I get where the, I like if you were if I'm the agent and you put those arguments out there, I'm saying okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, that's good, that's good. But Jimbo got that contract after Florida State had already been driven into the ground. Yeah, and Harbaugh obviously is not worth that money that he got paid. And look, and and oh, I, I have improved the my client 
has improved the program every year he's been in charge from nine and four to ten and three to now fifteen and zero and natty great recruiting class coming in et cetera et cetera fix the offense like if he wanted to get uber petty he could have and he did not and uh, and then that's that's who he's been since he's taken this LSU job and what's fascinating is we kind of and this goes back to kind of my point and maybe on proves or unproves my point but you know it's funny how. We always said, well, LSU can afford to pay these assistants, save this massive salary pool because they're getting added a discount. Now you see he's getting paid upwards of maybe $7 million a year, and you're still paying Bo Pelini, which is a bridge to that. We'll get to that later. But he's still paying him $2.3 million a year, which would make him, as far as we know, the second highest paid coordinator in football. And then, it, you know, I don't know what they're going to do a pass game coordinator, but let's put it this way. They were about to pay Joe Brady oh, like one point seven yeah. or so. You know, and we'll see how much whoever who they replace him with and what kind of salary they get. But it doesn't seem like his salary is even remotely affecting the pool. No, no, and I never really. Well, I guess when you that, win a championship, your I pool never, increases. Yeah, exactly. I never really bought that to begin with because that, that's a bigger thing to me, right? The that check, it's all fake. Under yes, yes, to your point, under Scott Woodward versus Joe Oliva, and when you win a natty, like yeah, the. The, the coffers are overflowing for LSU yeah. right now. The war chests are in. The local barons and, and merchants are happy, and they're donating to the cause. Like, the problem, it wasn't that you could pay all these guys. Now, it was a good narrative. That was a great narrative for O to be able to put out there. Yeah. Is that, you know, I'm taking less money so we can pay these other guys. But the money's always there. It's can you get access to it. And Aliva had poisoned a lot of those it. relationships. It's, it's why. A really good way to put it. It's why. <laughs> It's why Joe Oliva gets fired as AD in a year where you host a Super Regional, you make the Sweet 16, and you go 15-0 and win the Natty, and everybody thinks you should have been fired. Like yeah. the fan base does. Nobody was like, ah. Yeah, like, there's, no, there's no Last Jedi heads on that what one. A, what a Shakespearean tale for Joe Oliva. I mean, just like. And now he's coming out to the advocate and saying uh, a lot of stuff. It was kind of great. I, I, I really like that, too. He came out basically like, I super regret Will Wade. I was right on though. I mean, I love a good revenge tour. Good for him. Uh, I don't know. I yeah, no fuck it, dude. I get it, man. I'd be pissed too. Uh, but but at the end of the day, he had soured a lot of relationships. That that's the name of the game with AD, and, and that is what we know about Scott Woodward, or at least what the perception is, is that that is his strong suit. Yeah, his fundraising, relationship management, and so yeah, they got money to pay O. They got money to pay the coordinators. They got money to pay the analysts. To keep growing that staff, uh, the purse strings are wide open right now. Uh, winning, winning solves everything too. So, um, and that mu- now we can segue to more money. Yes, yes, to more money. Where Bo Pelini? Okay, speaking of good agents, right? How about go yeah, from being wow. the Youngstown head coach for five years to then making more than Brent Venables for doing the same job that Brent Venables? And does? I am interested to see what Venables' like salary will be next year and whatnot. But yeah. No, yeah. But as it stands today, which, and also, if I'm Venable's agent, I'm like, hey, I'm calling up Pelini's agent. I'm like, my dog, thank you. <laughs> well, it's fascinating. now I'm about to get paid. I think this is one of the more unique, you can't see, nothing can be more unique. I'm sorry. Sorry to my old editors in Oh, college. is that like an old, like, <laughs> That's oh. a huge newspaper thing. Oh, yeah, I've never thought about that. But, uh. How, you can't be more unique, like, unique, it's in the, the more it's so, in the so, definition. We were like, very unique. I'm like, well. No, <laughs> but it is a it is a unique situation because there really isn't much precedent for a guy like Bo Pelini his situation because let's not forget the timing here. Which well, and, put a number on it real quick because we two, oh sorry, he, um it's two point three million dollars yeah. has uh, a year has been the salary reported which Dave Rand was making two point five million Kevin Kevin obviously he's gone but Kevin Steele at Auburn just got a deal for two point five which Kevin Steele's definitely one of the three best coordinators in my opinion yep. so that sounds about right to me, uh but. And Brent Venables is $2.2 million. Now, it is such a weird situation because Bo Pelini, if you just go by what he's been as a defensive coordinator, is top-line defensive coordinator. And even if you go by what he did at Nebraska, is one of the better coaches in football. But it's just such a weird situation for a guy who's been out of the spotlight for six years and has been coaching at Youngstown State for, I think it was like 250000 or something like yeah. that. Now, huge factor here. And Andy Staples pointed this out in his podcast there's the timing here of he just stopped getting his yeah. Nebraska buyout money, which it's, is like six point two million over however many years. It's literally like he's just been just chilling, enjoying living in a his little hometown. more low pressure situation, Hanging living in the friends. hometown. Uh, Nebraska's paying him over six million dollars to not work for them 
So that's going to help that 200K. Oh, so then right when that – how nice is that? Right when that $6 million runs out, this other school says, oh, you're making two hundred grand a year? How about you make $2.3 million per year? Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd take a 1,000% raise and also get back to the – the stature of the SEC and major college football and join a national championship program. Oh, yeah, I'll take a defense with Derek Stingley on it and Elias Ricks coming in and Tyler Shelvin. Like, what? Bo Pelini, wow. Take a bow, dude. Oh, yeah, and it is fascinating just because it's like, you could, you know, as much as I say the money's made up, that is crazy that he's getting that money. It is crazy that he's there. Because, I mean, I heard it was going to be like, at one point I heard it was going to be a 1.7, 1.8. Then I heard two, and two sounded about right. Two was like, all right, I can get that. 2.3 is just bonkers. Good agent, bro. Yeah, no, and it goes back to it's made up, and, you know, that's my theme of the day here is it's money's, it's like <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street. It's Fugazi. It's Fugazi. No, you know, it's, it's, like, uh, it's like, uh, whose line is it anyway? What does Drew Carey always say when he, he's like, uh, whose line is anyway where the points are made up and yeah. nothing really matters? Like, exactly. like, like, so like you, you get, get a thousand it, points for that skit. If you can get it, good for you. But so I think it comes down to two questions come up with the Pliny. Is Hyatt. whose line is it anyway before your reference time? I know whose line. Okay, because you looked a little. You look. I'm just saying. I was like, where? No, it was a where are you going with this look? Okay, okay. But now it made perfect sense. Okay. No, I love whose line. Uh, okay, cool, cool. And I think shout two, out Wayne Brady. If you have other ones that jump out, tell me. But I think two questions come to mind in everybody's mind with this hire. One. People go to personality fit. Yep. Bopalini's reputation as an aggressive. Maybe people think of him as a difficult-to-deal-with guy, very fiery. And then two, I think there's the idea of you haven't coached at this level in six years. Hell, you haven't coached in the SEC in 12 years or 13 years. How up-to-date are you in real football in this kind of football? Yeah. I think those two questions come to mind. Where the, you- so, yeah, no, the second question is the main one to me. Um, the first one, you. I know he's fiery. I'm with uh, but his players actually love it. I mean, I played with him. So I was a um, two-time scout team player of the week on that 07 team. Uh, and so as the de facto leader of the scout team, I was, uh, you know, I dealt with Pelini every day, right? Like I was getting, you know, I'm practicing with the defense basically. Like I spend more time with those coaches yeah. than we do our own. Now he's not coaching me there, but I'm watching him coach like Glenn Dorsey and all these other guys. And, yeah, he'll get after your ass, but people love him. And The Athletic actually has a great article of today where yeah. they are asking Nebraska players and Nebraska fans kind of, you know, how what do you feel on Pelini now? And the players, now, granted, they're some of his more successful players, so maybe you're getting a little biased there. But uh, the reviews are pretty glowing. So, like, yeah. I, I know that even – well, sorry, go, go on. No, no. Oh, you're, okay. You're, uh, that's what I'm going to – I was wanting to get to that exact thing, and I think that is the fascinating thing with him is, and for example, you said Nebraska – yeah, I know, for example, Nadamakan Sue isn't in that story, but and I have a story coming out tomorrow, but I know Nadamakan Sue is traveling in Africa right now, but I reached but we reached out to him through the PR people and they were like, He really wants to talk about Bo Pelini. Oh, which nice. tells you like he's in Africa and he's like, Can you email me questions? Like yeah. he wants to talk about <laughs> yeah. him. And that's an interesting one because he didn't recruit Sue. He was going into Sue's junior year. And that and Sue wasn't the star his freshman sophomore. He was a really good D tackle, but he was not what we know him as. And he Sue trusted you him. Glenn Dorsey like. I mean, he, yeah. he Glenn Dorsey exploded. Yes, and he turned him into what he is. And now he raves about it. And he found guys like Amir Abdul and he found Prince Akamara, which weren't huge recruits at all. They found him in the middle of nowhere. But what I wanted to get to, which I'm glad you said, is I think from what I've gotten from my reporting, and the story will be out tomorrow, but is that yes, he's fiery. But what people will tell you was and I can't speak for what he's like with administrators because I think that's a huge part of the Nebraska tale. He's probably a dick to him, obviously. Yeah. It sounds like, right? Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> that's a huge part of it is that the, his story goes down in Nebraska in that messy breakup and two different recordings that became public of him just like shitting on the fans and shitting on administrators. And that's another that's a thing, bad look. And that's a, it's a that's bad a big, look for him in the public, but the players don't give a fuck about that. And that's what I wanted to say is you talk to players and I keep asking, like, what, like, what is he like in that sense? They're like, yeah, he is fiery as hell on the field. He will get after you. But he is a player's coach, and that's surprising. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, he's the kind of coach who will scream at you, but then pull you aside after and be like, all right, here's why I'm doing that. Here's what we're trying to do here, and I just want to get the best out of you and all that stuff. And that really came through with people I've talked to at Nebraska, people I've talked to at LSU, and people I've talked to at Youngstown. It's a common thing with Wow, you talked to some penguin people. Talked to a lot of penguin people. Damn, nice. Because that's the big (laughs) void in all of this. And we'll get to that question, but sorry, continue. And what? No, it was just that, and they say that he's, yes, he's fired, but off the field, he's actually pretty, like, I talked to Bob Stoops, and he was like, I never had a fiery, instigatory minute with him my entire year with him when he was defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Yeah. And granted, Bob Stoops and him are Wait, both Youngstown boys. So, so. who was his co-defensive coordinator? Red Venables. Yeah. Whoa. 
Whoa, incestuous. Uh, coaching circles are so incestuous. It's, it's unbelievable. Good. Oh, dude, some of those 2000s coaching staffs at Oklahoma, it's really worth looking back at the way we talk about like those LSU staffs. Really? Because it's like Kevin Wilson was the OC one time, and like, and then you got the Venables years. Mike Leach was an OC at one point. Like Bob Stoops' ability to uh, – Mike Leach? Yeah. That's what that. made him big. That's uh, what he got Texas Tech. That's how he got like to Texas Tech and He stuff. took the air raid into the uh, – anyway. Okay. Yeah, as I tell you, like he's actually a pretty like goofy, puts his leg up on the desk, quoting Seinfeld kind of guy outside of football. Like players talk to him for hours, and really, again, players coach thing. So it is interesting, and the Bob Stoops one might be important because that's the relationship that's going to matter. As much as we talk about his firingness, it's going to matter. We know his players love him. It's how are Ogeron and him going to get along? So, so, and this is why I am ultimately. Um approving of the hire even though like you said the more you dive into Pliny I think it kind of rewards you um like you get more excited about it because on the surface at first like whoa this is like like kind of plucking out a little bit of a fossil here that's how quick it can feel like with just a five-year gap there but if you are an LSU fan what has Cocho done to make you not trust his judgment and the obvious choice there is Matt Canada but that is also the exact reason why I feel better about this hire because of the harsh lessons learned in the Canada saga where he made campaign promises. They were going to hire a name, the best OC that was going to be Lane Kiffin. Kiffin goes. So they're desperate. They need a name. Okay. Well, Canada's Pittsburgh offense was crazy. They beat Clemson. They only interviewed him one time. They did one interview before hiring him. So they didn't do their due diligence. All of a sudden Canada shows up him and O hate each other. The relationship's never going to work, right? Um, so I, I applaud two things. I applaud O there for avoiding something we learned about in Econ 101, the sunken cost fallacy. Because when he fired Canada, when he makes that decision to break that off, he put his neck out there. Like, he, that was, to me, Ogeron, I said at the time, that was him putting his job very much on the line. The offense had to get better. The team had to get better. Um, but he, and, and even sunken cost fallacy, I like even, it. Yeah. Even knowing that, even knowing that he still avoided the sunken cost fallacy where you're like, well, I, we got to make it work. We got to make Canada work. We're going to keep throwing resources at it. We'll get it to work. So they avoid that. He hires Inzminger, very controversial. Then he goes and he hires Brady. And when you look at the hiring of a lot of the shadow staff guys, when you look at the graduate transfers, this staff has targeted, like, I think that there is ample reason um, and I'm not, you're never going to hire at a 100% clip. So you're still going to miss sometimes because that's what talent scouting is. It's super hard. But as it stands now, 15 and 0, all these wins, the direction of the program, ultimately, I trust in the vision of Ogeron. And therefore, I'm going to trust in this hire because I know they did their due diligence this time. They didn't rush into it. Signing days right around the corner. They still took their time. They did interviews and. Bo Pelini was the man that they landed on as being the guy for the job. Yeah, I have no firm argument. I think the question needs the will be answered. Maybe we have I have no idea of the answer, so I'm not suggesting anything either way. But it's not I don't think it's gonna be Canada like no. But the question is what happens when there's friction. And granted, there's probably gonna be friction. They're gonna be a good, not great team next year, probably. Yeah. So it's you know, because Dave Rand is one of the easiest people to deal with, I am from what I understand. And Steve Enzbinger's his lifelong buddy who's not afraid to tell him how it is and they have a good relationship. Now, they have trust. Yes. That's how, that's how you get through friction is if you actually trust yes. the other person. So the question is, and again, not suggesting either way, but what will happen when Bo Pelini gets angry or Ed Ogeron gets angry at his defense or vice versa or anything, what happens when there's real friction there? That will be the test of if Ed Ogeron has grown. And by the way, my gut tells me I think he has grown from that. But that's when we'll really find out. Well, and, and I have to imagine, too, that, that during this hiring process that – the level of autonomy was discussed, right? You think like that? Pelini's going to operate with because there's. I mean, it, it sounds weird. He was a Youngstown Penguin, yet Pelini was still in a pretty comfortable spot. Like, like to draw him out of there. And yes, the Nebraska contract was, was over, and that's say, easy to joke about. Money but, talks, but bro, but do you think? Oh, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. But do you think that like he's not hurting for money? No. He's not spending two million dollars no. a year in Youngstown, no. Ohio. I don't think right? so. Like so, like I'm sure the cost of living's just fine there. He's just fine, um, and, and so I, I have to imagine that from Pelini's perspective, that one of the things he probably wanted to make sure of: okay, will I really be able to run my defense? Like, will I be given a level of autonomy that I'm looking for um, 
and 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 how I run it and and why that's so great is if he is indeed given that, then for him, he gets to cut out all the head coach bullshit. He doesn't have to deal with any of the political glad handing or shaking or anything. He just gets to get back to being pure football and to deal with the players. And so he doesn't have to complain about the administration. He doesn't have to complain yeah. about the fans or anything. He just gets to coach. Yeah, you nailed it. And first thing I want to jump to is Sunday, Ed O'Gron said on your show, nice plug, uh, is off the bench. Ed O'Gron even said he can run the defense he wants to run. That's big. He said that on your show. Yeah, because I asked him that's four, big three, for him three, to say four, that. Four, what are we, you know, yeah. what, 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 what's in the plans here? Because I kind of assumed three, four, because that's what the personnel's been moving towards. But and they're maybe not as, uh, I don't know, we'll see. And yeah, and then the other thing I want to say, you nailed it, is I think from everyone I talked to in Youngstown, you. some of his best friends at, you know, from home that people he's known his whole life, and I talked to him about what the appeal was of like leaving being a head coach to go back to this level and be a DC. And a huge part of it, his best friend said, is I think he's really attracted to the idea of everything you just said, of of not having to deal with all that extra stuff yeah. and not having to meddle in all these things and just coach some defense. And still making $2.3 million. Dollars, I think he's dude. really excited to get back to that. He's excited to just prove, hey, man, I'm a great defensive coach again. I think that's appealing in its own way. Getting back to the big stage. You and can't just, doubt these guys with their egos and their competitiveness. They want to be on ESPN. He's been in the shadows for half a decade now, and he probably feels like he got relegated to the shadows because of some bullshit. Yeah. Which, regardless of how you feel about it, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, he didn't get fired because his teams were bad. He got fired because well, he had a uh, – well, I mean, the That was after – he got fired because of a weird standard at Nebraska that they've realized five years later is actually a little Oh, misguided. I thought he got fired because of the tape. No, he got fired. Oh, that, they just fired there him because was a of tape, the 9-4. and four Yeah, there was a tape earlier, and okay. then they – like, that was a problem. And granted, it might be kind of like a thing you see a lot where it's like – one doesn't happen without the other. Yeah. You know, like, they probably, maybe you'd be a little more patient. You're part and parcel together? Yeah, like, I don't really maybe they'd be more patient if he wasn't an asshole or something like that. But, oh, yeah, I mean, the grand reason he got fired was they were un- impatient with him winning nine games every year and never getting over the hump at a yeah. school that thinks they should be winning national titles. But And obviously, we, we mentioned it on Off the Bench this morning, Brody, when we interviewed you, but um, in, in a weird roundabout fashion, the collapse of Nebraska post-Polini actually is really good for Bo Pelini. Oh, yeah. Like, like his for his resume is- and his, like, how we think of him. Now you're like, wow, he was winning 9 and 10 every year in Nebraska? Like, that's very impressive. And I, I really do recommend, I just finished listening on my drive here, actually, rec- listening to the Andy Staples podcast today with Mitch Sherman. Who's, who's- Andy Staples? National writer for the Athletic. And with Mitch Sherman, who's our Nebraska writer and obviously a very experienced reporter who's covered Big Ten and all these things for years. More like Bitch Sherman. Come on, man. No, nice guy. I'm just kidding. Come on. I don't know Mitch at all. I don't know Mitch at all. But, Did he write the play, the article I read yes. this morning? Okay, actually, you know what, Mitch? And, I apologize. He, he was at ESPN really for a long time. Article. Great reporter. And, and he, you know, what they talked about was one of the big things was, like, don't underestimate how big, because he was the one who oversaw the transition of the Big Ten. Don't underestimate how, I think a lot of people were caught off guard by how challenging that was. That was harder than people realized. Yeah. And then, and he still kept winning in a conference that I think is, Better than people give them credit for. Are they in or which half of the Big Ten are they in? They're in the West, which is uh, that does nothing for me. Is it the hard one or the bullshit the one? The bullshit one. Oh, okay. And it was definitely the bullshit one in the years Pliny was there. But still, the point stands. I think the Big Ten West is still better on a game by game basis than the Big Twelve. There's yeah, no doubt. People are going to take the Big Ten over the Big Twelve in football. Yes, any day. And nowadays, actually, the Big Twelve, Big, Big Ten West is actually looking pretty damn good with Minnesota up. Yeah. Iowa's always solid. Wisconsin yeah. is a top six team in my opinion. Uh, there's another one I'm forgetting. It's just weird to have the brand names all stacked in one division with your your, yeah. your Penn oh, State. Oh, I can go on a rant about that. Like, oh, it's to, you have to mix it up. Even if you just switch, like flip flop two schools. Yeah. Like if you just take one of those top three teams out of the East. Yeah. I think it works. Yes. But it's just it's you know I mean you have a school like Indiana who like hypothetically might be a top twenty five team next year, but they're never going to win them. more. Tell them how much returning production no, Indiana has, bro. We're not going to do that. But my point is like. Wow. <laughs> they, they they're probably good enough to win nine games next year, but they're or ten, but like they're never going to be good. They're never going to win nine like nine games in the regular season because you play Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, <laughs> Michigan, <laughs> and then you also have like a Big Ten West game depending on who it is every yeah, year. That could be like Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> like, so yeah, they're just never going to. That's just a fact. Anyway, that's a weird tangent we went on. Sorry well, about. But that. how much returning production does Indiana have? Tell me, baby. They're t- number four in the country in returning production, Ooh. and they were number twenty three in SP Plus last year. So, like, theoretically, they could be an actually like a top twenty. I mean, if that doesn't heat your little Indiana loins up a little bit, Brody, I don't know what will. By the way, did you know that Adam Driver is a Hoosier? I learned that on I the from Indiana, yeah, on the Mullinaro, right? Uh, I don't know exactly where, but 
the Molinaro family, who I did the Rule the Galaxy podcast with um, and does great impressions, they are from Indiana. Yeah. And so uh, we started talking about driving. They he were like IU, super though. hyped. What? He didn't go to IU, though. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, but he's no, no, a he did. No, he did, because both of them said for a year before he went to Juilliard. He went to a year of okay. Indiana, and then he went to I was Juilliard. unaware of this. Because they said that they both walked the That's same true because hallowed Jake- halls. So you did, too. You walked the same hallowed halls as the Molinaro's a lot of actors. and Adam Driver. Well, I don't know if you know this. Jacob's School of Music and like their whole art department is actually, like depending on which site you use, it's between J- Juilliard and Jacob's every oh, single shit. year. No, I didn't. Which I never knew until I went there. I'll actually admit that to you. It wasn't like I was like, yeah, you know, that's why I'm going there. No, I had no idea. But yeah, so like, oh my god, like so many Hoagie Carmichael, like so many musicians and actors. It's like in The Bachelor on Monday where they're like, "We're going to Chris Harrison, ladies, pack your bags. We're going around the world. We're going to a city of culture and rock and roll. We're going to Cleveland, Ohio." And all the girls just like, "Oh, what?" My hot take is, I like Cleveland's a cool city. Um, So my my wife had a similar experience where she went and shot a wedding up in Cleveland. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. And she had been to Pittsburgh recently, and she did not like Pittsburgh at all. Oh shit, Pittsburgh's my favorite city. Okay, she did not like Pittsburgh, and then she was kind of kind of fell in love with Cleveland. So I actually have this big thing I go a big take I back up a lot is that Cleveland and Pittsburgh are two cities who everyone's mind we think of as like Rust Belt, very drab, disgusting cities. I and just feel like I see like shades of brown. You you think like, like smoke in the air, air, steel mill? Yes, that is what they were, and to some extent still are. But around the '90s and 2000s, both of those cities actually went like real renovate, like real like Renaissance eras, and became tech city. Pittsburgh became a tech city. Wow! <laughs> and they're act- and Pittsburgh is now, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful cities in America. I I have a weird. Most people disagree with me. I have a weird love for Pittsburgh, so I might be biased, but I love that city. It almost reminds me of New Orleans in the way that like every not literally, but not in the culture way, but like how it's so many different like little neighborhoods and nooks and crannies. Is Pittsburgh on the water. It's three rivers intersecting. Yeah. yeah. So all. All port cities have great culture. Yes. Bottom line. Uh, because that just that it comes part and parcel. And it has the big mountain. So there's when you drive through the the oh my God, the fort oh my god, I'm terrible. The Fort Something Tunnel. Bro, I don't fuck. I wanna know that. <laughs> the Fort Something Tunnel and you drive through the mountain and you go out and just you go and you're driving on top of three rivers and you're like, What's happening? It's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, Brody's got like real passion in his face I and voice there. right now. So I entered there for uh, a summer and I'm like, I wanna live here the rest so of the So it life. also caught you then at a very like I, I also 21. will always fall in I, I will always have a almost like a first love, love of New Orleans because my mid to early twenties, that's where I lived and worked and it was just like Touché. So great living in this city that was so vibrant and so much energy when you're at the most vibrant and energetic stage of your life as well. So I, I feel you, man. I know how a city can kind of imprint on you and then just stay with you. That forever. might be a factor. You're right. But I also uh, moved around so much that, like, that's I, true. You're a good judge of it. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, shout wow. out Pittsburgh. Um, shout wow, out, where I actually don't know where we were. Shout out John Rockefeller, who's actually from Cleveland, even though kind of fuck Rockefeller. Read Rockefeller's biography, Titan. It's very interesting. Um, it. Now. Polini. Oh, now, do you want to get to the, we talked about all, like, the personal part of it. Do you want to get to the football part of Polini? Yes. Okay. So, that is, okay, let's address your second question. Yes. Which was, is he how a- much has the gap, you know, has he kept up? Because, yes, the 05 to 07 numbers from LSU are Number absurd. three in the country every year. Which, absurd. if you use total defense, go, go F yourself. But, yeah. And, but, 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 but but the numbers are crazy good, but obviously the game from 05 to 07 looks nothing like the game nowadays. Yes. So the answer to our question, though, is if you pretend you know you're full of shit. Okay, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I think we will not know until we see the season. So I don't think – but the question but is – You've been watching the Penguins, bro. How did the Penguins – A lot of Penguins look? tape. Breaking them down with my guys, my, my <laughs> Youngstown guys. Uh, but I have been grilling a lot of – grilling. I'm not <laughs> – Tell me the truth. <laughs> like shine the light in their face. Listen here. You what scheme does he run? Fucking um, black and white waddling bastard. Why are you interviewing the mascot, Brody? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you think. Brody, that's an animal. That's a penguin. He's now, not, he's not going to have your answers. You should talk to a coach. No, it was a really infuriating interview. I got nothing out of him. Uh, but so I asked. I see so, you warming your eggs there. Between talking to you know former LSU players from him and talking to you know, Youngstown players with him. It's, you know, because everyone's worried about the scheme thing, right? And they say, yeah, he runs a 4-3. But as Ed Ogeron pointed out, he is, his background, if you look at it, is he was a 3-4 guy in the NFL with yeah. Pete Carroll and Bill Bel- Bel- I think it was, Belichick ran a 3-4. Which more incest there. I didn't realize that both him and O were Carroll guys. Yes. So, 
I mean, he has a lot of background there. And I talked to Youngstown players about, like, all right, tell me what you run. They're like, yeah, our base is 4-3, but it's actually pretty multiple on third down. It's not that different from Miranda in the sense, well, I mean, this is most coaches, I guess, but they were 4-3 on first and second down most of the time. Yeah. But on third down, they actually went with a lot of three-man front and got a lot more creative with their stunts and all these things. And actually, they were like, that's when we love playing for him was those third downs because he got so creative with it. And um, Now, what's interesting about that strategy, though, is because of offenses like LSU's and other offenses, um, that is sometimes tougher to do nowadays. If you run up to an up-tempo offense, like the whole thing is they don't want you to sub. Like they don't if, – if they catch you in a 4-3, like if LSU caught you in a personnel grouping last year that they yeah. liked, they weren't going to let you sub. True. They were going to go tempo and they were going to expose Great you point. there. So that is just something to to watch. Yeah, I'm not, I don't bring that up to say like this is what he's going to do. I bring yeah. it up to say he's versatile, he's open minded. Yeah. Luke Sanders, the form, you know, he you directed me to former star linebacker under Pelini at LSU. He was like he was he actually said he's like he was actually ahead of his time at LSU. And obviously teams weren't running the offense they run now, and you'd be a fool to pretend they did. But you know he was actually ahead of his time at just like taking what a guy does well, being really versatile with him, and kind of you know you and I love saying positionless because. The Warriors really had an impact on them, yeah, on everybody. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, but seventy three like, and nine. <laughs> you shitting me? That's our next podcast. But yeah. yeah, I think they were saying he was saying like he's really he was really ahead of his time at being like all right, this guy he's a linebacker, but he actually can be really effective as a safety or vice versa, and actually interchanging parts, which is something Aranda thrived with. So that's a big thing for LSU, and that was twelve years ago. My big question is because everyone at Youngstown kept talking about how smart he was and how he knew exactly what the opposing offense was going to do. Wow. Every single time before he did it. And I think that's a strength he's going to have regardless. Clearly, he was one of the best defensive minds in football before. But I do wonder, and this is kind of such a bullshit like radio show guy take to have, but I'm mm, curious. Feed me. I, I eat <laughs> yeah. this shit up. Coming up feed next. Me. <laughs> is, uh, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. <laughs> Remember to go to A Bear Meats, pick up all your specialty meats, and subscribe to The Athletic. All right, Brody, finish that thought. Is I wonder, it's like how, you know, iron sharpens iron and whatnot. Now you're fucking talking my language, dude. Yes. I wonder. So one man sharpens another. I wonder if, you know, five years of maybe going against offensive minds that aren't exactly the same <laughs> caliber, you know, like, for example, that he can literally say this is what's going to happen. Because John Murphy, his best friend, told me, at one point he turned to me on the sideline and said, they're going to run this play because we're showing this, and this guy's going to pick the ball off. And that's exactly what happened. Wow. <laughs> and it's like you just wonder, okay, you're not going against those minds anymore. Is it going to be a bit of an adjustment for him? And, again, I realize that's a bullshit like radio show guy take uh, like because that he might just – you know, football minds, football mind. Who knows? No, but, like, of course – no, but it's but it's also – it's, you know, it's it's legitimate. Like, yeah. the coaching talent, I you know – or I should stop saying you know, but it should you know. be it should be better uh, than who he's facing at Youngstown. Otherwise, there's a lot of hidden talent in the Penguins division. Like, if, if, if their offensive coordinators are legitimately better than what he'll face in the SEC, then then people need to ask some very serious questions about who their OOCs are. I've been trying to bring that take up for a while, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, what conference is Youngstown in? I mean, it's FCS. I don't know what conference. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the Southland. That's my favorite FCS conference. Because um, it's the one you know. <laughs> Yeah, okay, relax, Brody, okay? It's, I, it's my Big favorite. Youngstown guy. It's my favorite, regardless, okay? Um, I did enjoy during the championship, Grace Rayner and I had a Q, uh, live Q&A before the title game, and one person's like, all right, screw the FBS title game. Like, what are your thoughts on James Madison versus North Dakota? <laughs> and I'm like, glad you asked. Give me the... North Dakota, man. I mean, Give me North, the Dukes. North Dakota is a... Uh, there's a powerhouse. How could you oh, bet against Carson them? Carson Wentz. Even post-Chris Kleeman. They're great. I'm just kidding. One of my favorite facts that I learned this football season is that... Chris Kleeman uh, is the coach of Kansas State, and that yeah. he came from there. So yeah. I would just hammer that. This home is our best pod. Long. I really believe that. I agree. Yeah. I agree. We're flowing. Um, this is gonna be the album. Like our yes, it's gonna be the deep cut that people like ten years from now. I'm like yo, other people will mention the championship <laughs> pod or the post Bama pod, but the real hold that pod fans are gonna mention this rambling. Last Jedi infused in It's like mess. you know how people always say that you know only a hundred people bought the Velvet Underground's first album, but all hundred. You keep people- mentioning Velvet Underground. I know. Well, this I is a, next. To I wanted to make. The, I wanted Velvet to make this joke earlier, but I'm making it now. I didn't get to make the point earlier. But the the line is that only hundred people bought the album, but all hundred started a band. Oh. Only a hundred people listen to this episode, but every one of them started a podcast. So who is Velvet Underground again? Though what? That's like it's like, uh, like, like, like Slash and like no. some other people that's Lou Reed. Up. It's Lou Reed. It's uh. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know who Lou Reed is, but that, he's the main guy everyone knows in that know, band. I don't know who Lou Reed is. But it's the band who made, like, Pale Blue Eyes, and uh, well, Lou Reed's one of the most important rock stars. I'm not, I'm not a music guy. I'm going to get I you know, Lou Reed. I know nothing. Maybe. I have been listening to Tank and the Bangas, which is some very interesting um, band from New Orleans, and it's this fast i can't quit it i just keep Ooh, listening to this it looks like my kind of shit yeah but it is fascinating it's it's got like a lot of spoken word poetry in it goes into straight rap but she has a beautiful voice when she does more <laughs> traditional singing you have songs that like it they just is such a weird fusion i am hyped on it oh by the way you would have been jealous uh, you would have had fun with us friday night we went to a in new orleans went to a really cool live show in a backyard of a house called the lady mansion oh, saw daiquiri queens daiquiri queens great time it was three bands but the only one i like knew was daiquiri queens but i've yeah. never heard of them either but that sounds awesome daiquiri queens are kind of like a uh, its description online is like Cajun honky tonk music but it's kind of oh uh, my girlfriend described it as like cool dixie chicks or something like new orleans dixie chicks <laughs> wide open spaces but yeah cool show in the backyard sign me up Wide open spaces. Sometimes I think my life is more defined by not how much fun I have, but how cool the story sounds. Yeah, duh, dude. I mean, come on. So it's like, I had a good time, but I enjoyed telling people I was at a show in a backyard more than I had fun. A thousand percent. It's like, uh, you could be the shittiest bar of all time, but if I have to go into your bar by entering a nondescript diner and going through, like, the back, like, the the door in the back. I'm telling 17 people about that. I am so I'm calling people at the bar and being like, (laughs) yo, so I just went to this cool place. Yeah, like... Or like, or like the, the the one in Atlanta where you enter through the phone booth and you feel so oh, cool because you're like putting even the though code it's in. such a touristy gimmick. Yes, now. yes, big time. But well, uh, but we should probably open a bar with like a secret entrance because well, we'd make fucking money. Well, we make bank and maybe serve some shows. I don't know. Call it shows, bros. I oh don't no, know. no, maybe some crepes. Smells like crepe in here. No, it's now a three headed business. We were we were going to be a dual thing. Now mm-hmm. it's a three headed business because it's a speakeasy nacho crepe bar. I mean, Jesus Christ, the business ideas here. Uh, all right. Idea guy. Um, okay, so we talked about Bo Pelini. It seems like, uh, I think, even though obviously there are unknowns as there are with well, any hire, I feel like unless I feel need, good uh, about it. Unless you're short on time. I do have one other thing I want to no, discuss. No, yeah, go on, go on. No, no, we're good. We're good. Go on. Well, I think the fascinating thing, and I don't, I, I know it's kind of stupid and semantic how much people talk about the scheme stuff, because really it's not too different, 3 4 4 3, in my opinion. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, she ran a 3 4, but Kayla Vaughn on the outside was basically like a DN. You know, it's all kind of. <coughs> I agree. But I agree. I do want to get into. I think that may. Because it, it does seem like they're going to be 4 3. So I think, I think that, like, does the 3 4 maybe better equip you to handle the spread? But, but I mean. I don't know. To your point, well, I you honestly, to- and, I, and I've kind of changed this in the media, and maybe I should go back to my player-held opinion. When I was playing, I agree with you that I didn't see a ton of defense between the fourth or a ton of difference. The main thing was that as a center, it's just maybe a little bit tougher mm. because against a 3-4, you're having to man up a lot, yeah. whereas you're, you know, you're always getting help constantly. And even 4-3, though, three. tell me if I'm wrong, but like there really there still is, any Staples kind of point this out to me, is like, a big day for him on this show. Oh, is that like in reality in a four three? There's still a one technique. There's oh, no, still no, no, there's, there's still a is. nose guard. No, type. there is, but just sometimes with how the blocking schemes works out, you're almost always going to be on a combo block. Or okay, reaching, okay. I found that reaching that one shade was sometimes easier than dealing with a head up guy. Okay, um, but but whatever. I mean, yeah. that's all. It's, it's all and also of, whatever. In reality, point. it's kind of like yeah, technically it would be a four three, but the way football works, it'll really be a four two five most of the time. Yeah, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, that's a great point. Which yes. you know, and else you basically, like you said, already had four down D linemen, even though Kalevon made himself really nice yeah. in coverage and and kind of standing up. That's that's up the as big well. difference. Is yeah. So and so the question is, and that's what I wanted to get to is how do you see this personnel matching, assuming it goes four three? Okay, <laughs> because. Okay, so let's assume the outside linebackers become a D-end, most of them at least. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. actually, as much as we remember we laugh about like the Andre, Andre Anthony and Ray Thornton, say it, the combo. I don't think, I think Ray Anthony would need to move more toward being You a- just combine them. Said Ray Anthony. It finally happened. Did I really? They've been mentioned, they've been mentioned in tandem for so, <laughs> so long. Sorry. They have finally yeah, that, that merged. That's perfect. That couldn't have gone better. They finally merged into one player. That could not have gone Yes, better. Ray Anthony, I agree. Uh, they're Dude. excited to have their hands back in the Well, Ray, Ray Thornton, thank you. Maybe he goes, maybe he, because he's more of like a versatile athlete type. Maybe he's a 4-3 outside, outside linebacker. But Andre Anthony actually will probably be a better fit as a DN than he was an outside linebacker. I think because he is a really good old school pass rusher. 
And he's not Caleb Vaughn, but he's a, that's what he's yes, good at. Yes. You couldn't trust him with the other stuff. Yeah. So I'm curious what he does there. Curious what a Philip Webb does. But really, I actually think this might, the more I think about it, open up some things for that D line. Because okay. I think it, I think the D line. Oh, maybe I'm just talking myself. No, no. D linemen prefer to be in a four three. Make no mistake. Uh, the same way that I said it was maybe harder in center. I think it's plain nose in a three four sucks. Like you, you, you. Everything hinges off of you. You deal with, uh, I guess I'm kind of talking on both sides of my mouth, because you deal with constant uh, double teams, and, and it's more because you're head up. A lot of times it can be a bit more reedy than, like, when you're on a shade, you're playing that gap, and that's all you have to really, like, worry about. Like, yeah, being a nose on a uh, – being a nose, let's make sure this didn't go out. Okay, it didn't go out. Being a nose in a 3-4 can be brutal. And then, and then if I'm, like, a three technique – like, I would much rather play a three technique than have to play a head-up five over the tackle. So, yeah. I, I think, like, if they do go to a 4-3, I actually think that Shelvin and Logan and Farrell would probably n- be be excited about so that. So, that's what I wanted. I wanted to look at, based on the known commodities we have, because let's not get into the freshmen and how that works and all that. Yeah. Based on the known commodities, how do you see them... What Which spots do you see them falling into? How do you see that working? Shelvin and Ike at the one. So you think they're just still going to rotate and you don't try to make one of them the other D-tackle? Uh, well, I mean, I just feel like Logan and Farrell are great three techniques, like body-wise. I think, like, I mean... I was going to say, I wonder if one of them, and I don't even know which, so this, this is why I wanted to ask you. And again, Ika and Shelvin at the same they're time. They're athletic enough yeah. to be a three. Shelvin's definitely, Shelvin especially, Ika still feels Ica's a explosive. little... Yeah, yeah, maybe so, maybe so. But I, that's why I wanted to ask is, like, could either Logan or Farrell be a strong side D-end? Um, I'm asking. I don't know the answer. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Tyson Jackson, he was like probably the best 4-3 strong side DN LSU had. Because neither of them are necessarily. He was big. He was big. So he was pretty much their side. And neither Logan or Farrell, in my opinion, are like rigid, like, you know, tight, no, yeah. like body detached. And they've been playing the five. Like they've been they've been playing the So what, uh, is the strong side DN usually like a six? Um, Or I should say they've been playing the uh, – a strong side DM will be like a seven. They're okay, not going to okay. be head up. Like a seven. We used to call it a five eye when you were inside the five. I can't, I can't remember exactly. Either way. Um, and then, yeah. So, like, I think you have flexibility, I guess, is maybe the greater point we should be getting. No, to. but it, to, to your point, if if you had, and then you got that great D tackle class coming in, if you had almost Ike and Shelvin, Roy there, seems like a perfect three two technique. guys. Yes, and then you have those two guys on the defensive end. Then really, you're only filling that weak side defensive end slot. Here's a question that somebody asked me. Um, Ask away. Even though my instincts, I should be my my instincts. Maybe I'm wrong here. Are still Ike and Shelvin at the one, and Farrell and Logan at the three. Uh, but okay. somebody asked me the toughest player to replace on LSU, and they said take Burrow out of it, take Cushenberry out of it. Oh, position group, yes. Position group, oh. still linebacker, like we, we talked about. But is Kalevon like? Do you have oh, a great yeah. pass rusher? You don't have a sure thing. Yeah. You have a lot of people with a lot of potential. Yeah, like Philip Webb, a lot of potential. Yeah. Uh, although I'm interested, I don't know the answer. I'm not gonna pretend I get into rankings too much. But he dropped like 70 spots in rankings. 70. I think he's like 118 now. I don't know who Philip Webb is, but 70 spots sounds extreme. He was like number 40. He was the outside linebacker from Buford. Uh, well, he probably deserved a drop. <laughs> For reference, T. Bob hates Buford. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he's but he dropped a lot. And I don't know if that means anything. I'm not pretending rankings matter, but that's just interesting. Um, yeah, so Philip Webb's like your your high upside guy. You're maybe hoping could be something. Uh, but again, a true freshman. By the way, Trevez Moore's somebody who maybe doesn't know the game that well, but Trevez Moore's a really talented pass rusher from what I've gathered. Maybe he looks good in that spot. Um, then you got Andre Anthony, you got Ray Thornton, whatever they do with that. This pretty much confirms that Marcel Brooks can't be that guy. You can Marcel Brooks cannot at his weight be a D end. Yeah, maybe like a third rush sub package. Yes, that will probably yeah, still happen. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I feel I feel I feel what you're saying in that regard. Um, um yeah, that, so I guess so. So my but the, but so but it kind of sounds like you're with me. Like you don't have a great pass rusher though. Yeah, you like don't you have sure potential. Thing. Yeah, but you don't have anybody that's proven. It's uh, a solid argument. But do you even have anybody with the potential of a Calevon right now? Like no, mm, probably not. Um, now maybe somebody gets there. I'm not saying they can't, but as we understand these players as they stand currently, nobody excites you in the way that Kalevon did even before the Miami game. Which may be a good re- um, again, this is me, a lot of this is me playing devil's advocate and talking myself into stuff, so I don't know how I feel yet, but maybe that is a good reason to go 4-3. Because if you know you don't have one elite one, maybe a 4-3 actually 
opens things up for more rushers and like more. Yeah, you know, you're opening things up for those talented deep tackles and more beneficial spots. Well, it's easier to pass rush out of a four three for an interior defensive lineman yes, than it that's is what I mean, yeah. uh, for a three four. So no you're so you might be making maybe you don't feel as good about your outside linebacker, but you're going to get getting a better rush from your other three. Mm-hmm. Is maybe the thought. Watch, we're gonna come out and then spring day one, or Pelini's be like, "All right, we're gonna have a, we're gonna run a three four, <laughs> run a three three five, yeah, yeah. Uh, stack." Yeah, that who I was reading the book Smart Football, and they talked about the three three five stack. I love that, that book. Up. Well, yeah, I think because Charlie Strong was one of the main yes, people. Yes, because that was like right. one of the huge uh, like innovations was the three three five. People don't use the three three five anymore, but it changed a lot about modern defense. Yeah, it just makes it's a great you a book. You should really read against, it. it. Makes you a little weak against the run. True, three three five does. I remember West Virginia trying that bullshit, and us just being like, nah, nah son, that ain't gonna cut it, man. Did you tell him that? Uh, I did. I did. Hey, man, and bullshit uh, defense. One of the best celebrations I ever had was we scored a touchdown right before half, and I ran by the West Virginia mascot, and he's that old like mountaineer with the big musket and everything. Yeah, great mascot. And I pointed an imaginary musket on him, and just oh, boom. Come on, man. Blue, blue, nice kids. Bam, bam. Um. If, if we're getting into my uh, personal memories, my favorite personal Pelini memory. So I, so you know, I ran the scout team, or not ran. I shoot well, back up. <laughs> I was the scout team coach. I, I, I say tongue in cheek the two time scout team player of the week thing. It's technically true, but um, Check but but no, I wasn't like running the scout team. But after one of the national championship practices, we had a good practice. I'm feeling good, so I'm stacking up the scout team, and I'm like, great job, blah blah, and I'm like giving a speech, and I'm like. All right, bomb squad on three. And this is all I didn't realize. This is in the middle of Pelini talking to the actual defense national championship week. And so he turns around. He's like, T-Bob, shut the fuck up. It just like goes off Oh, Pelini did? Yes. And I just remember being like, oh, man, I'm really sorry. Okay, yeah, I I, I deserve this. I deserve this. Uh, I feel like you would have been the guy everybody wanted to like. You shouldn't be stacking up the scout team when – the defensive coordinator is talking to Glenn Dorsey and uh, yeah, all the these other all these other superstars during the national championship week Ma- in a practice in the Superdome. Hey man, you had mama mentality at a young age. Yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Scout team, what's up? And and a little trivia for you here. So you're like bomb squad team. I thought that was the LSU line. Well, Ooh. originally it was the Scout team because we either got blown up or uh, we blew you up, but we mainly got blown up. Um and is then, that really where that comes from? That that's how that's we used that in 07 and then I kind of want to do a story. A couple this. years later, it was Joe Barksdale going into 2010, where I don't know how he got the idea for it to translate it to O line, but he um but then Joe being very forward thinking like he was was like we need almost like a totem to promote like bonding as a group, and so he came up with calling ourselves the Bomb Squad. And and count it down, tick tick boom, and all this other stuff, and so that it actually carried over. And now the LSU line still uses it. I was gonna say, and people may not realize that all goes back to Joe Barksdale back in 2010, so, being a great leader. Just to clarify, before the whole scout team offense was the bomb squad. Yes, yes, so, and, because and they I, got blown and, up. And and I want to be clear, I don't know if that goes back before me. Okay. Uh, but that year, that's what. Yeah, that's what we did, and it was because we either blow you up or we get. Or we get blown up, and then that's hilarious. And then we made it. Uh, you know, when we took it to the O line, it was more about because we blow your ass up. Obviously, I kind of think yeah. I'm gonna do a story on this. That's a, that's an off season story if I've ever heard. You got to get in touch with Joe because I I just remember being very struck by how forward thinking he was, recognizing that like because he was gonna be a senior that the importance of having a slogan like that and how that can bring a group together because it really did. Big it was slogan guy. It was it was impressive. Hey, does everybody eat? Uh, oh, I mean, bro, one team, one heartbeat, nah, bro. We out. all eat, dude. We didn't really get an update on that. We all eat, bro. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Um, all right, we've gone a little long here. A little and bit. People are like director's cut. People keep prowling around these studios. We got a new podcast studio that work is building to help with this, but everybody's trying to get studio time. People keep like glaring at us. So, um, talk a lot about Pliny. Think it's a good hire. Last Jedi is a good movie. Just to recap, uh, George Munoz. Maybe back in the fold, real quick here, a couple minutes on him. We interviewed O yesterday. Yeah. And unbidden, we did not push him here. We just asked about passing game coordinator. He brought up there's been a ton of interest. And then he even said, uh, well, you know, maybe even uh, George Munoz. He's not off the table. He might be a good guy for it. Yeah. So, I mean, that's how do you interpret them? And as I said on your show, I mean, and correct me if you've heard differently, but I think he left because LSU wasn't in a place 
he was always a candidate for passing game coordinator. Yep. But LSU wasn't that wasn't on their timeline to make a decision quickly on that. They yeah, <laughs> it was a few days after the championship. They were on, like had a lot of other things going on. DC was probably more of a priority at that time, so they weren't ready to give George Munoz an answer. So they didn't give it to him, and he went off to be receivers coach slash pass game coordinator with Baylor. Now Baylor is a lot of money for what it's worth. Baylor isn't exactly like cheap cha- short changing anybody. No, bro. They got they Dennis got Johnson meat, they is got tripling LSU's yeah. sal- it's the salary. Yeah, so they have money, but LSU probably has more money. Um. But yeah, so I I don't think it's crazy to believe that George Munoz would still be interested now that LSU because it wasn't like LSU said no to him; they said not. We don't know, yeah. so maybe they'll look at him. But man, that would really cause you know as much as it might be want to talk about Dave Aranda stealing you know those people and all that stuff and like that being an honor you know, is there honor amongst thieves? If you then steal him back at that point, you got to imagine there's some beef there. Well, it gives you maybe a little insight into that there. Maybe not as magnanimous as it all seems on the uh, on the surface, which is pretty normal. I mean, like like right. I I, I if if I'm a head coach, I can acknowledge that absolutely I would want to be a coach over an analyst, and that I would always take that job a thousand times. Of course, times. but as a leader of a company, you're also it's only natural that you're going to feel a little upset losing talent. Uh, and so that would be kind of an interesting shot across the bow a little bit there. Get that in the schedule. But um, but yeah, but but, but so but but I, I think I think your interpretation is how I interpret it as well. Not off based off any like anything that I know, but just reading the timing of it. It's that they prioritized DC search. They took their time there, and then because there's so much interest in passing game coordinator, they they took their time there, and and now they're like, okay, you know what, Munoz may be the best option here and and also passing game coordinator is weird though because steve Hensminger is the oc people need to that gets that. lost yeah. in all of this it's why they're so comfortable with this hire it's why they're not freaking out because they still have coach Hensminger and the knowledge that he acquired uh of how to run this spread system so it's funny how much joe brady's success like changed the average lsu fans i idea of what that job is yeah because you got to remember jerry sullivan was also passing him quitter that's like the main thing i'll just remind you he was it's an elevated coach but like you can make more money but it's not necessarily like co-oc now but that does also maybe show how wrong it can go and and i don't think that they would ever do this if they knew passing him coordinator but jerry sullivan was the man and i defended that hire which looks bad on me he was Uh, a great receivers coach well he was really good as a receivers coach for technique but he is the root of the max protections and really prioritizing just justin jefferson he's very much an old school nfl way of this play is designed to go to this exact guy yeah that don't work no more all right well studio people are everybody's freaking out out there so we're gonna um we're gonna wrap up here uh, we'll be back more. We didn't even get to John Emery's eye surgery. That's eh, fine. Just we know the athletic that, story up to Just that. know that our guys see in 2020 here in 2020. Uh, and that's all you need to know. Subscribe to The Athletic. Yeah, there subscribe to The Athletic. Go. There you, you go. Podcast here about it. Uh, buy your meat today, Bear Meats. T-Bob A. Bear, Brody Miller. Another edition of the Hold That Podcast. Podcast in the books. If you like it, rate it, review it. That really helps us. I don't know how, but people always say that on podcasts. So please do that. And, uh, yeah, share it with your friends, and we will see you next week, Brody. Just drop my whole bag. Chill out, bro. Chill out. All right, we'll see you all next week. Holla.